Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. But while you're all chatting, um, you, can, you can make your attention back to the back row, and we're going to have a friend of ours named Cindy Wave. If you haven't met Cindy, you got to meet her afterwards. If you haven't met her yet, we're going to put her pretty picture up on screen for anyone watching online. Cindy's one of our friends who joins us online every week, and we're very excited anytime she um, has this health and strength to come up all of our stairs, which... Just to let you know, our, our goal is working with our landlord this year to make this building more accessible. So it's in the works. Keep praying about that um, as we find some next steps. But Cindy gave me permission to use a story of, from her journey today because it, it kept coming to mind as I was studying the scripture this week. So on September 28, 2015, Cindy was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, a cancer of the blood and bone marrow. And her medical team put her on a registry so that she could be on the wait list for a transplant. And this organization matches up recipients in need with donors who match. And so Cindy was matched with a donor, a young man who lived in Germany. And on January 20th, 2016, she had her stem cell transplant. And she had this photo taken of the moment when her life began to be saved through this blood donation. Cindy went on to get to know her donor, Michelle, and they have remained in each other's lives ever since. It's a really cool story. Chat with her more about it. She said, you know, they've become like sister and brother together. And now Cindy and her husband, Nick, have a whole new family as part of their family. And so we have Michelle's whole family here, all their big smiles. Now, here is a fun fact because Cindy received Michelle's blood, some, some things about her own body began to change along with its healing. She has a new blood type now. Uh, she said there's some allergies of hers that are no longer there. And her hair, it's got some more curl to it. If you can, I don't know if you can see in the picture, but Michelle's got some curly hair. And she said her hair actually changed. This is fascinating. She did want us to know that sadly, she did not gain the ability to speak German nor does she like sauerkraut or beer. That didn't change, okay? But Cindy's story got even sweeter this year because she, there was a job opening and she was asked to join the team of Be The Match. This was the organization that matched her to her donor. And now she can give of her, her time and her work and her energy working for an organization who helped save her life. And she said she's a donor engagement specialist is the title. And that basically means talking with folks through the steps to say, what does it mean to be a donor? She said, the thing is that when you say you're interested and you have a swab, you get put in the registry. So you can wait, like it can be four to seven years before you ever get matched with someone. That's a long time. She's kind of, she said, sometimes she's like, hi, do you remember who we are? Okay, that's us. Be the match. Remember you're doing this? Okay, let's take the next steps together. But she said it's really neat because she can speak from a recipient perspective. And she also has an amazing relationship with her donor, so she can just give a perspective and answer some questions that she just, other people can't. And she said that in the lowest point of her life, this organization was such a bright spot of hope. 
She said, every interaction I've ever had has been absolutely incredible with Be The Match people. They're over the top. She said, when you're facing life or death and they don't care who you love, that's a big deal. When you're hiding it from everyone else besides facing cancer, Cindy was in a new relationship that no one knew about yet. And I witnessed so much joy in Cindy when she got this job in January. I just had to ask her perspective and I was struck by her quote. How do you repay someone when they legitimately saved your life? I wanted to be able to turn my journey into something good. And the reason Cindy came to mind today is that we have gotten to this point in Exodus when the Israelites became free. They left slavery and oppression behind and they were given a new chance to move from certain death to life anew. And the thing is, one of the first words that Yahweh says to these people, it's about giving them habits of gratitude. Because you can't fully repay someone, even God, for the life that they give you, for saving your life. But you can take your journey and turn it into something good. So we're gonna be in Exodus chapter 13 today. It's page 49 in the Pew Bibles or grab a device or just look on screen and we're gonna have the scriptures up there. We're in the second portion of our two-part section of the Exodus series. You can see our beautiful slide has changed. This is now, there's now some, some refreshment in the colors. There's some water elements here that we're gonna talk about next week. But this week, we're gonna look and see, you know, what does Yahweh wanna communicate to these people and their journey into establishing who they are now as free people? Last week, we asked, what are you doing with your freedom? And we challenged ourselves to consider that. Now, it's interesting to observe the first things that Yahweh talks about. Now, remember that God says, my name is Yahweh, I am, this is what you can call me. And he chose Moses to be his spokesperson. So the words we're gonna read today came from Moses to the people, the messages of God. Let's read Exodus 13, beginning in verse two. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. When the Lord brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord." A few weeks ago on April 2nd in our worship service, we talked about the Passover meal and how that was, that was the beginning of this celebration to remember. Remember coming out of Egypt. Remember that how fast they had to get ready and there was no time for even bread to rise, that they had to go. And so there is a longer celebration referenced here. Seven days, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's some more details describing that festival uh, in other sections of scripture. But we discussed that this time was to remember the pain and to celebrate the hope. So in this meal, they're supposed to remember that God brought them out of harsh slavery and oppression and also to celebrate freedom, new life, hope for the opportunities ahead. In such, we see that's an act of gratitude 
to remember the adversity that you came through and to celebrate the new things that you can do now. That's all, that's all very much an attitude of gratitude in there. So this is, this is example number one, part one of God's gratitude habits that we see him instilling in the people now that they're free. Because if we practice something over and over, then it becomes a more natural response, right? If we practice gratitude, then when things come our way, it becomes a more natural way to react to life circumstances. And God is doing that for his people. Let's keep reading. We're going to pop back to verse 1 because it connects to verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So this is an interesting practice, and we've got words like consecrate and redeem. The original language for the animals was literally cause them to pass through fire. So this is a description of the sacrifices made during worship. And there's, again, there's other details in other books of the Bible that talk about those animal sacrifices, and we're not going to go into those this morning, but that is the piece of the worship in this time period. But for the human firstborns, there was not pain or sacrifice in that way. It was a symbolic redemption, and families would go and give money to in the part of their worship as a way of a thank offering for their firstborn. And to thank God for them, to redeem them back was this, was this monetary moment. It's described in the book of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. And it gives some of the details that all the people leaving in this exodus are practicing. And in Numbers 18, it says, you must redeem every firstborn son, and here's the price. When they're a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. And we read that that practice continued for generations because when we get to the life of Jesus, and we often read this, around Christmas time, but in Luke 2, it says when the time for purification rites required by the law of Moses came, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem, and as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So Jesus was presented, and they gave the, the resources that they had. It was an act of worship, being grateful to say, God has given us life in our family, and so we dedicate them to God and we offer this sacrifice of our resources as a thank offering. Now, because God was instilling in his people habits to practice over and over and to live out gratitude in their lives, Yahweh makes it clear in Exodus when this all began what the point was, that it wasn't just Oh, bring something to me. I need your stuff. He's trying to instill in them good practices. Verse 14 of Exodus 13 says, In the days to come, when your son asks you, okay, your son, your firstborn son, the one that you did this ritual for, when they come and ask you why, what is this about? This is what you tell them. With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, 
out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. And this is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. So this was a moment again, like that Passover meal where they're remembering the pain and then they're remembering the hope of surviving that pain, all built into this practice. And I feel like that just as, just as God is doing this, that he feels very parental in this moment. Because when we think about that, you're like, well, that, that seems very different to us. That's very different than our culture about how much importance is placed on a firstborn or you know, animal sacrifices is not in our repertoire. But we have to look at the heart behind it all. Like what can we gain from, from looking at the way that they practice worship back in ancient times and what we can learn from those rhythms. There were rhythms and rituals to just put into their very beings. And I feel like that's like a parent or a caregiver or any adult role model. You know, when kids are around, you, you kind of, you get a little bit more in your best behavior because they can imitate you, right? Maybe your language is a little different around children, but you also probably are like, if you, if you hand them something, maybe even here, there may not even be your kids, Echo Kids, if they hand you something, you can be like, thank you. And then if you hand them something, you can expect them to say, thank you in return, being a role model, right? There's these practices of gratitude that you teach as aunts and uncles and parents and caregivers that we're trying to model for them gratitude. Why? Well, because we know that well, it feels good to be thanked, right? To do something. We know the feeling of being receiving gratitude. But also there's something that we receive when we give gratitude. I don't know. You ever have a gratitude journal or you try to like, if you're having a low point, you count your blessings, people might tell you to do. Because it's like it changes your mindset to go from everything is lost to I have hope again and people have being, are being that hope in my life. To think about gratitude is to realize that other people have brought some joys. God has spoken and moved through others in our lives. And by saying thanks, maybe you were taught to write thank you notes when you were a kid, or maybe you get your kids to draw pictures or make videos for others. And there's just something that you're connecting to other human beings to say, I see you and you're bringing joy to my life and I wanna let you know how important you are. How do you repay God for saving your life? There's no real way to match that. But we can begin with a heart filled with gratitude to serve, to care, to worship, and to care for people made in his image. You want to hear something that I found that was really cool in this scripture? So later, the Israelites are going to set up a tabernacle, which is like portable worship center. And that's where they're going to meet. And as they travel on their journey out of Egypt and, and to this promised land, they're going to worship God in this space. And so that's where they're going to bring the sacrifices. And there's people named priests and Levites who are serving in that space, kind of like pastors or leaders of a church would, right? They're serving in the worship place, helping people with these sacrifices. But here's the thing. In Numbers 18, near where we were reading about how much to, to give as your thank offering here, 
We also read that the animals that people brought to sacrifice, well, the Levites and the priests were able to take that meat, as, and part of that was their dinner. That was their household's food. They received people's sacrifices, and part went into the Lord, and part went into their homes. The money given at the tabernacle to redeem firstborn sons or all of these other thank offerings that people give, part of those gifts were used there to keep up the tabernacle and the worship space, and part was given to the priests and the Levites as payment for their service. Numbers 18 verse 21 says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance and return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. So look how beautiful that is. That as God was teaching his people to be grateful, they also ended up providing for one another. The priests and the Levites were serving and providing spiritual leadership and the people as part of their worship, ended up providing for their homes, for their livelihood, for their survival, them and their family. So the Israelites were living in community that way. It's really humbling because, I don't know, when you're like, I'm, I'm relying on generosity and gratitude from others in order to survive. That's, that's like, that's a humbling experience. And yet I feel like most of us can look around and realize that when we pray, and when we pray for God to provide for us, how many times does that come through other people? In ways we might not even know, God might be providing for others and be the answers to other people's prayers through us. God is moving and he often likes to do so in partnership with human beings. We kept seeing this in Exodus and we see it now that God's, God could have just, you know, he's, he's gonna drop manna from heaven. We're gonna read about that later. But yet he was like, I'm gonna provide in this household of the priests and the Levites through the community, through others. They're gonna live together. Fun fact Echo Church operates on this biblical model of caring for one another. You might hear us say at the end of worship service, if you would like to continue in your worship, you can bring offering and tithe and give to the church. Because we consider giving not just Echo as the 501c3 nonprofit that you can have tax-free deductions to. No, we are a church, and so we say, if you're going to give, that's part of worship that we see modeled here. And we also saw Jesus model it. He was relying on other people to give him food and shelter as he ministered. So that's how we do it. And so you might give out of praise. You might, you might want to praise God for providing for you monthly, daily, weekly. You might be giving as a thanks because God brought you out of something. You might give because you see it biblically spoken of. So we want to be clear here what we do when those resources are given to Echo Church. So number one, there are three of us on staff. Me, Dylan, Shante, working with the kids right now. And we all get a portion of those gifts as a, we each take a very part-time salary. Our households work in other ways to, to fill that, but part of our needs in our homes are supplied by gifts given here to the church. Um, we, then we pray. <laughs> we pray for how to steward the rest of the resources well. There's other needs. And 
all of us end up benefiting every time someone gives. I've got a beautiful, colorful chart that we can show. Here's like last year's spending. With some of the funds we buy, it says ministries there. That's like kids' lessons and craft supplies and more. We use some of the funds to make sure we had a camera so we can live stream or make sure that you all can hear the, the, all the tech up here so we can hear one another for in-person and, and live streaming worship. We use some funds to support missions locally and globally. We have partners who they're serving the Lord in their spaces. And also we hear about needs. There's benevolence needs that come into our lives our neighbors here in the community, or there's events that other people are doing out in the community and we want to join in. That's that green section of the pie there. We use some funds to try to do some fun things like, you know, have church meals or, you, might, you know, we have coffee every morning, that kind of fun. So we also pay rent for this beautiful space. So some of those things are on the chart. And then we just pray that, that we're doing well, that we try to do honor the gifts given in worship and use it well. So we pray about those things. But we're living in community. And you all give beyond finances. You show up, you serve, you put your literal sweat into this building at times. You buy snacks for youth group or you donate coffee beans or bake bread for communion or you've donated furniture. There's, there's kids' toys, there's books, there's lamps, there's a mini fridge back here and there's coffee cups downstairs and none of those we purchased. Everyone just contributed as a community. So we are living this out and it's just a good reminder to see that's how we function and, and you know, complete disclosure here of what we do with the things going on. And we all stay accountable to one another because we're all, it, it's like a heavy burden. <laughs> like Dylan and I talk about this all the time and Shante will agree. It's like, oh, this is people's like funds and resources and time. And it's just like, it's a big burden to, to do it well and to honor you all because we're living as a family and to, to receive humbly that responsibility. So what I want us to think of now is the rituals in our own homes or groups of friends? How are we communally as a church? How are we pushing, pushing, I don't know that's a bad word. How are we including gratitude and making it a part of this, this everyday rhythm of our lives? So some of us grew up and maybe we grew up in homes or churches that did instill practices of gratitude. But even if we didn't, now's a great time to start. Uh, maybe that's saying thank you out loud before food. I don't know if you grew up in a home that did that. Jesus, he would lift bread and thank God before the meals. We read that so many times in the Bible. But maybe it's like we said, making those thank you cards that maybe you grew up doing and now you're trying to teach your kids. Maybe, here's an idea. If you've ever, if you ever accomplished something, like you get a promotion at work or you got a degree or you completed a goal that you've been working toward, why don't you like gather some friends, have a party, and thank all those people that supported or believed in you or thought you could do something? Like, there's a thankfulness there, a gratitude to let people know that nothing that we do is ours alone. We have a whole squad behind us most times to do the things that we can do. 
If you have kids in school, thank those teachers and staff. If you've ever been in a hospital stay, you know, it would be really great to send a little email or a feedback form that they give you and specifically name those nurses and therapists and care team that helped you heal. There are so many things that we can do, big and small, and it can be in those high-achieving moments or we can share gratitude to say, I came through something and now I want to worship God in a way. I want to honor him. And part of that is just like meeting with others because I'm sure you have connected with a person whose story sounds a little similar to your own. And you might think, oh, what they're going through right now, that was me like two years ago. And one beautiful act of worship is to approach them and to share the hope that they can make it through. Befriend them. Let them know you're praying for them. Give them encouragement that it, it can look different on the other side. That's an act of worship to God, to be grateful to the Lord by using your experiences to help someone else. Or maybe you volunteer in an organization or you just show up and you spend time in people's lives. And I'm sure that we've all felt how good that feels. And I feel like that's the hidden gift that Yahweh was establishing all those years ago was that somehow we grow internally every time we express gratitude externally. Before we end our service, each week we eat a meal of gratitude. We have communion, and Jesus was instilling in his followers in that same way to say, eat and remember and be grateful because this is salvation. I'll return to Cindy's story as we close because Cindy told me that as she takes communion, this is what she now thinks. Jesus' blood saves us, she said, and my donor's blood saved me. Whenever I have the pieces of communion, I'm always struck by my life being saved by blood twice. I love that Cindy can consider Jesus, who she has not seen, and Mishael, who she does see, and considers the way that God has been flowing through her life through all these entities. And as we take communion, we, let's, re, let's remember in gratitude that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save us. And also, he keeps showing up and saving our lives through other people every day. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we bring our gratitude. We thank you for being present in our lives in seen and unseen ways. We thank you for all the ways you answer our prayers through other people in unexpected ways. We thank you for modeling for us habits that give us joy and connect us to other people more deeply. We bring you our gratitude that you care enough to save us through Jesus with his one time for all sacrifice and then just every day that your spirit is present with us. You keep showing up to save us. And we bring you our gratitude and we eat this meal together in thankfulness. And it's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.